We have several scriptures this morning. The first comes from Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 2, 4 to 7. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens... Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Romans 5, 12-17 Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who received God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life of the one man, Jesus Christ? This is the word of God. Thanks, Megan, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. Glad that you could be with us. We'll take a moment and pray together and then consider this scripture. I'll remind you, uh, next Sunday, I won't see you here. Because I'll see you at uh, Alaska Airlines Arena. The service won't start at 9.30, it'll start at 10. Plenty of parking, uh, no overflow. We'll all be in one room together. Bring your friends, play room, it'll be great. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, as we now open the text this morning that you have offered to us, we pray that you would shape us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us. Father, we gather here in many different states of heart, hope, discouragement, Shame, (laughs) forgiveness, joy, sorrow. Thank you that you can speak to each of us individually and thank you that you can speak to us as a community. Shaping us, we pray, to be people of hope in our city. Shaping us to look in increasing measure like Christ. So toward that end, we open the scriptures now. Pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us and we'll give you thanks for it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just a quick question here. Many of you are college uh, graduates or you're in college. How many have changed, how many have changed majors when you were in college? Did anybody ever change a major? You changed your major? Uh, about the, what I hear uh, talking to a vocational counselor, 70% of college students change their major. Did you know that? So if you've changed your major, students, don't worry. It's no problem. I changed my major from uh, architecture to music. And then... Uh, Many change their major, listen to this, three to seven times. So relax, right? It's not a problem to have a few majors. And I was architecture and then music, and then God tricked me into becoming a pastor. (laughs) And here I am. And so you never know what will happen. But 
The one thing we do know, and I can say this uh, with the authority of Scripture, is all of you have one primary calling. We all share one calling that's the same. And that calling was articulated in the Scripture read this morning, Genesis chapter 1, everyone in the room, male, female, rich, poor, young, old, all of us, we have one single calling, and that is to display the image of God. All of us are created to be image bearers. In other words, we're created to show one another and the world in which we live and the spiritual principalities and powers, according to Ephesians chapter uh, 2. We're called to show the character of God and display the character of God through our life and through our life together. And so if that were your major, and if that were our major as humanity, if our, if our collective major as humanity is to show one another the character of God. Here's my question. What grade are we getting? How are we doing? And I would, I would suggest the answer is uh, lower than a C minus, at least, right? Do we display the character of God? In our families, in our relationships? No. <laughs> there are crises after crises that create a gap between who God is and who we portray God to be. Environmental crisis, terror crisis, racism crisis, daily shootings, billions living on less than $2 a day, clean water crisis, hate, fear, lust, human trafficking, nuclear crisis. And all of these offer this visible evidence that if our major is looking like Jesus, we've got a ways to go. And so uh, this morning, I want you to see here that this calling to make the character of God visible is the most important thing you can pursue in your life because this will align your life with the way that God created. You are created to be an image bearer, and if you're, to the extent that we are falling short of that, we're living in dissonance with the way that we're made. And so we have failed, everyone in the room, to display the image of God accurately and adequately in our lives, and yet our failure opens the door to a path of recovery that is beautiful, and that's what we want to see this morning. And so uh, we're in a series called Constant because there's a theme that runs through uh, the Bible. Many storylines, seen through the lens of many different issues, last week we looked at the cosmos, and what we see over and over again is this. God had an ideal that he created. So there's the created ideal. Then there's a failure that brings about disru the disruption, creates a, se a sense of chaos. And then right at the bottom, there's always hope. And then the hope leads to restoration, leads ultimately to culmination. Creation, disruption, hope, culmination. And we see that this morning, asking the question, what does it mean to be fully human? What does it mean to be human, to be an image bearer? And so we begin here with creation and we realize from what we've heard read that God's vision for humanity is that you and I would be image bearers, that we would display nothing less than the character of God. And yet, theologians argue about what that means, right? Theologians have debated what it means to be an image bearer and it's been refined over and over again, but sometimes the simplest explanation is the best. In John 4.24, this is what we read, Jesus is speaking with the woman at the well and in that context, uh, there's a conversation about worship and Jesus says this. God is spirit. God is spirit, John 4, 24. And those who worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. But because God is spirit, God is invisible. God the Father is invisible. And so the question on the table is, well, how do we know the character of God then? 
And it was in the heart of God to reveal God's nature and God's character in a visible way and the visible manner in which the watching world would come to understand the character of God would be through humanity. God created man and woman in the image of God. All of us in the room are created with this capacity. So every one of us have this unique capacity to display nothing less than the character of God. And this is remarkable. And, and we know that when God spoke in Genesis 1.27, God said, let us make man in our image. So God is speaking in a plural, even though nothing else had been created yet. And this gives us an insight into the fact that before God ever created anything, God was in, already in community, right? Within the Trinity. And so the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then collectively you hear this, let us make man in our image so that we can now know what God looks like by looking at humanity. That's the vision. But uh, the way in which that will happen is for us to be in relationship with God. Because as we live from the life of God, then the life of God begins to be displayed in us. And so if we choose relationship with God, if we choose relationship with God, everyone is in the room would perfectly, consistently, and uniquely display something of God's character. And the beauty of what we ultimately see in life, of Christ, life in Christ is this. When Jesus invites us to display the image of God and for us to look like God, the means by which we'll do that, as we'll see in a moment, is by us being in relationship with Christ. And if I'm in relationship with Christ, that relationship now will give me the power to display nothing less than the character of God. But the beauty of it is this. We display the character of God uniquely each of us uniquely. And the reason we see that is because God is calling us uh, into kind of a marriage relationship with Christ. All of us in the room are called the bride of Christ, as we'll see in a moment. And so I'm receiving as the bride nothing less than the life of the groom. And as the bride receives the life of the groom and the seed, and you know what I'm talking about, right? As, as, as this happens, what's born then is something unique, new, never been before. That's the backdrop for what we'll see here. So all of us are called then to display God's character, everyone in the room. God's love, God's hope, God's joy, intimacy, wisdom, creativity, strength, holiness, mercy, generosity, hospitality, all of it. That's your major for the rest of your life. And then when God chose a nation to display God's character as the world had grown into increasing darkness and chaos, God gave that nation... a means whereby they might know what the character of God should be. In Exodus 19, God, through Moses, gave us 10 commandments written on a tablet. And why those 10? I mean, there's, there are other laws, but those 10 uniquely reveal the character of God. In other words, why did God say the things that he said? Well, here's the deal. If my calling is to be an image bearer, then uh, we must understand God is saying by virtue of the commandments, look, I'm not a thief, so don't steal. Because you're created to look like me, and I'm not a thief, don't steal. I'm not a liar, so don't bear false witness. I don't go it alone, I'm in community, so live in community. Honor your father and mother. Don't despise them, don't rebel, live in relationship with your parents. Reconcile, honor. I'm not envious, so don't covet. I'm not violent, so don't kill. I have a rhythm of work and rest, so keep the Sabbath. If you want to look like God, all you have to do is keep the Ten Commandments. And the reality is this. All of us in the room at various times display in some measure the image of God. We all do. 
At our best, we see hospitality. We see reconciliation. We see generosity. We see love of enemies. We see a blindness toward, toward racism that enables us to, to break down social divides and cross over barriers and be the first to cross over and, and move toward reconciliation. And often we see it most clearly in children who aren't yet jaded, aren't yet cynical. I'll give you one example. A young, liter, a, 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 young, uh, a young boy, six years old, wrote a letter to President Obama. Uh, this is not a political statement. We're looking for the image of God. We see it here. Uh, look with me for a moment. Dear President Obama, remember the boy who was picked up by the ambulance in Syria? Can you please go get him and bring him to our home? Park in the driveway or on the street, and we'll be waiting for you guys with flags, flowers, and balloons. We will give him a family, and he will be our brother. Catherine, my little sister, will be collecting butterflies and fireflies for him. In my school, I have a friend from Syria, Omar, and I will introduce him to Omar, and we can all play together. We can invite him to birthday parties, and he will teach us another language. Since he won't bring toys and doesn't have toys, Catherine will share her big blue stripy white bunny, and I will share my bike, and I will teach him how to ride it. I will teach. I will him teach him addition and. Do you want to know what God looks like? Hospitality, generosity, reconciliation, welcomeness. And at our best, all of us have the capacity. We display the image of God at times. Aid trucks to Aleppo, the image of God. Serving in our shelter here at Bethany, the image of God. Laying down weapons, whether the weapons are guns or words, the image of God. This young boy's hospitality, the image of God. Choosing reconciliation, forgiveness, the image of God. Opening your home to strangers, the image of God. It's all over. We do this at times. But the sad reality is that overwhelmingly and collectively, we're doing a terrible job at our vocation, which is to display to one another and our world what it means to be an image bearer. We don't accurately reflect the character of God. We don't do it. And so then the question on the table is, well, why, like, why don't we do it? And the answer is found over here in disruption because in Genesis chapter 3, problems enter into the story, as many of you know, and I will read for you here the story, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the serpent, we read, was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, did God say you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the uh, fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or even touch it or you will die. The serpent said, oh, you won't die. God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw the tree was good, delight to the eyes, desirable to make one wise, took the fruit, ate, gave to her husband, he ate, and everything went downhill. Now here's the deal. We, we know this story, many of us, we tell this story, we hear this story, and people will say, oh, you know, the problem is uh, they ate that fruit. That was the first sin. 
No, it wasn't for sin. Before ever there was an action, there was an unbelief of God. And this is critical to see. In other words, Satan says, hey, uh, eat here. She says, no, no. And uh, and then uh, Satan says, look, God doesn't want you to eat because he knows that in the day you eat of that fruit, in the day you eat, you will be like God. And then she says, that sounds good to me. I want to be like God. And she ate. And here's the lie. She was already like God. Genesis 1:27. God made the woman and the man in God's image already. What I already have, Satan has taken away from me verbally, accusing me of not having what God has freely given. And now I want what I already have. And because I want what I already have, I step outside of God's will. And that rebellion cuts off relationship and everything goes south from there. But it begins with believing the lie. Hebrew, excuse me, Romans chapter 14, verse 23 says this, whatever is not of faith is sin. So before ever there's an action, there's an unbelief. I, I struggle with this. And when I was in seminary, there was a group of us, and we'd meet for Bible study uh, for lunch once a week, and we were studying quite a bit about all the gifts that God had given us. Look, uh, if you're in Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And you're eternally loved, and you're adopted into a family, and uh, you, you've been given 2 Peter chapter 1, all things pertaining to life and godliness. Everything you have to live well, you have it already. It's all yours. And I believe that, and we believed that in a little Bible study, but we, so we went to one of our professors, my favorite professor, Mark, and I said to him, look, if we have all this stuff, why do we still sin? Because it's a bothersome question. I have this beautiful identity, and yet I sin. And Mark is this Yoda kind of character, spoke nine languages, genius, and he kind of strokes his chin, you know, and he goes, all sin is unbelief, and then he walks away. And I go, come on, help me here. And he said, and then, you know, speaking more accessibly, he says, and I'll never forget it, he says, every time you sin, it's because you don't believe who you already are. You don't believe your identity. That's a good statement. Before ever there's an action, sexually, financially, destructive words, destructive weapons, Destructive choices. Before ever there's an action outwardly, there's an unbelief inwardly. Whatever is not of faith is sin. It all starts with, do I believe that God has given me the gifts that God has given me? Do I believe that I am who God says I am? (laughs) And you see, uh, we'll come back to that question, but what I want you to understand here is when they believe the lie... God had said this uh, to Adam, don't eat of any, you, you can eat of any tree, but don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. And then this is what he says, in the very day you eat thereof, you'll die. In the very day you eat, you'll die. And so then you read your Bible uh, and, you, and you read that Adam and Eve eat in Genesis chapter three. And then you go to chapter five of Genesis and you read the genealogy of Adam and Eve and you discover that Adam lived to be 960. And so if God said you will die in the very day you eat, how did he live to be 960? Is this just poetry? Is it metaphor? Is it not even true? What is going on here? It's a legitimate question. And I think the scriptures are clear enough when we go to the New Testament, as Paul interprets for us what happened in the garden. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that all of us, by virtue of being in Adam's family, are born dead in our sins. We're all we're born dead. We're alive. We have a body, we have a soul, but there's a piece of us that is somehow dead. It's our spirit. Our spirit is unresponsive to God. And if you're a Calvinist, it's totally dead. 
And if you're an Arminian, it's messed up. But I'm going to say to you, it doesn't matter whether it's totally dead or messed up. Our capacity to receive freely what God wants to freely give us, that capacity has been at the least severely damaged in the fall. Severely damaged. And so because of that, we're stuck now uh, going through life as people who are not whole. And, and, and in some sense, cut off from receiving from God all that God wants to freely give us in order that we might display God's character. We can't do it. And so then I respond to that by filling the vacuum of being spiritually unresponsive to God by making my own meaning in my life. And we know this because Judges chapter 21, verse 25 It's kind of a summary statement of the problem of humanity. In those days, there was no king in Israel. God had said to Israel, I'll be your king. You can receive revelation from me, and all you need to do is receive that revelation, and Israel perfectly displayed their unwillingness and incapacity to receive that revelation. And so there was no king, and then the the summary statement is this, every person did that which was right, what? In their own eyes. I make my own meaning. So cut off from God, how do, what do I do? Well, I make meaning with my life, however I want to make meaning, whether it's a lot of money or whether it's philanthropic uh, service uh, for people who are needy or whether it's sexual conquest and pleasure or whether it's a beautiful vocation or whether it's a house in Ballard with a picket fence and 2.5 children in a car, whatever it is, I make my meaning. And, but the, here's what's key, it's my meaning. <laughs> and if it's my meaning... I am not in alignment with the person I'm created to be, no matter how good it looks outwardly. The problem with sin isn't the behavior. The problem is that the behavior has, has been born out of autonomy, and it's the autonomy that's the fundamental sin. There's respectable sin, and there's socially unrespectable sin, but it's all sin. It's all born out of this desire to be our own king, so to speak, and do what's right in our own eyes. And so we fill the void and we justify in our lives. And yet, uh, what's beautiful, in my opinion, is that the way that God has created us, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 10, God has placed eternity in all of our hearts. And so there's something in me that uh, there are moments in, in my life when I can step out of my situation and see my own heart and certainly see the heart of humanity and go, this is broken. It's broken. Many, some of you have had this experience. We're, we're Christ followers. We know Jesus. We know, for example, in our marriage, we're called to intimacy. And yet we don't, we, we also know that we have moments when um, we make choices that are, that are destructive. And then we wake up and we go, this, is, this isn't right in this, in this moment. The, the biggest argument my wife and I ever had was over a drawer in the kitchen filled with Tupperware. It was the biggest argument we ever had. And I, I, I was in the kitchen one day, with, uh, cleaning the kitchen was dangerous for me because, because uh, I opened this drawer and it got stuck because there was so much Tupperware in it. And I said, this is too much Tupperware. And I threw a bunch of it out, like independently. I just threw it away. Like, I, I was, I'd had it up to here with too much Tupperware. And, but it's not my domain, actually. Like, I just flew in and did it. 
which people who work here know I can do the same thing. It's not good. So I, fly, I kind of fly in and I, I fix it with exerting authority I don't have in a sense. And then my wife comes and, where's the Tupperware? Oh, it's gone. Like I threw it away four days ago. Is that in the garage? No, it's in, I put it in the trash. It's gone. It's in a landfill somewhere. We didn't need it. Like nuclear explosion for many reasons. And, and then, and my response was, who are you? You know, you're like, why do you save all this? And then back and forth. And then, and then like, and then silence and then off into our corners. And I'm sitting in my corner and I'm like this, this is not who I want to be. How's, who's had this experience? This is not who I want to be. Do you understand what I mean? Come on, we're in this building. What's up with porn? in isolation. What's up with this arguing? What's up with throwing stuff at your spouse? What's up with slapping your children or worse your spouse? What's up with excess alcohol? How does this happen? Like we know, but we're here. Image bearer, and yet thanks be to God, we wake up and we say, I don't want to live this way. And when you don't want to live this way is when hope actually can wander into the story and begin redemption. And so my prayer for every one of us in the room is this, that we would never, ever, ever settle for this dissonance and say, oh yeah, it's okay that I just go in there with zero sensitivity and throw away the Tupperware and then call my wife a pack rat and it's, oh yeah, it's all normal. It's not normal. And, and drunk isn't normal. And porn isn't normal. And overeating isn't, and undereating. And, and not stewarding our body and not loving our neighbors and closing our doors and living in fear, none of it's normal. We're image bearers. It's our calling. And there's good news. We can fulfill our calling. And the reason is because of Christ. John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I'm going to say this because it's so significant. Hope comes because Jesus is the only fully human human. Jesus is a fully human human. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, Christ, became flesh. God became flesh. So God's desire that there would be a human displaying the character of God was finally fulfilled in the person of Jesus because Jesus shows us exactly the character of God. The Word became flesh, we beheld, theodzomai, we gazed at the glory of Christ. And that glory found in Christ is the glory of the only begotten from the Father. That glory, when you see the glory of Christ, you see God in the flesh. So Jesus, fully human. Why? Because what does it mean to be fully human? It means to look like God. That's what it means. And Jesus did it. A plus, knocked it out of the park. So Jesus lived fully human. And in his humanity, he identifies with us. We learn in Hebrews chapter 2 that because Jesus was human and his disciples walked with him, we come to discover that in his humanity, whatever it is that we are suffering in our dissonance, in our failure, in our loss, in our brokenness, whatever it is that we're suffering, Jesus identifies with that suffering. Because they, saw, they were with Jesus. They ate with him. They, they, they walked with him. They spent the night all over the place with him. They watched him confront 
and forgive. They watched him speak and be silent. They watched him heal. They watched him leave a town at the door without healing anyone. They saw all of it, and all of it was a perfect representation of the will of the Father in the moment. And in those representations, because of his humanity, Jesus was thirsty. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was rejected. Phew, that's good news. In particular, I fall in love with Christ because I know that he knows my suffering. I uh, went to a play this, um, this week. Taproot Theater over here on 85th is performing uh, something called Joyful no- Noise, and it's a, it's a play about the writing of Handel's Messiah. So friends gave me tickets, and uh, I said yes a long time ago, and then as the day came, I actually didn't want to go. Some of you know me well enough to know that I'm more of a sports person than a theater person. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'll go. And then, and then it's time to go, and I, I've got lots of work to do. And I'm a little melancholic because October's, uh, um, like I grew up in a baseball family, and uh, my dad was my best friend. My dad died during the World Series in 1973. And so always this time of year, it's, it's not the best time. So anyway, all that's the backdrop. Oh, yeah, I'll go. I'll, so, okay, I'll go. I'm sitting there, and at the end of the first act, uh, this man hands Handel the, the text that ultimately becomes the oratorio Messiah. And uh, Handel's reading it, and he reads uh, Isaiah 53. Just this phrase. He was despised and rejected. Man of sorrows. And Handel reads it again. Despised and rejected. And he gets up, he goes over the harpsichord. He says it again, despised and rejected. And then you begin to hear a tune forming in his head. And this was a, this was a powerful moment for me. Despised and rejected. I realized I'm adopted. And I always think of the acceptance of my family, but I rarely think of being rejected. I'm rejected. He was rejected. And I felt this identification of Christ with my humanity, with my brokenness. Do you see? I felt it. And it was a moment of worship. And then the act ends, and during halftime, I mean... (laughs) I mean, during the intermission, during the intermission, <laughs> I walked outside, and then I'm, and there's a parking lot. And there's a woman in a walker, and, and her back has been at 90 degrees, and she's shuffling along, and she's got a bag of food tied to her walker. And this tune is in my head, despised and rejected. And there's a man sitting on the corner with a bucket waiting for handouts, despised and rejected. Jesus fully identifying with our sin and our brokenness. It's it's beautiful, actually. It was worship for me. And Jesus displayed the image of God perfectly when he crossed social boundaries, when he identified with the poor and the suffering, when he loved his enemies, when he laid down his life. And the manner in which Jesus was able to display the image of God was because there's a phrase that occurs over and over again in the Gospel of John. It's the key to the whole story. Jesus said this, not my own. 
Jesus saw his life as a container, empty, save what God the Father would put into the container. So Jesus says, look, this is the story. My authority is not my own. My authority comes from the Father. My will is not my own. It comes from the Father. My judgment is not my own. It comes from the Father. My power is not my own. It comes from the Father. My works are not my own. They come from the Father. My life is not my own. My life comes from the Father. And so you see it over and over again in the Gospel of John, not my own. John 5.30, John 6.38, John 8.42, John 12.49, John 11. My, it's not me. It's the Father. And so the Father now lives in me. And then Jesus, post-crucifixion in his resurrected glory, he speaks to his disciples. And this is what he says, as the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. And what he means by that is I'm sending you out, asking you to be in relationship with me in the same way in which I was in relationship with the Father. <laughs> so that even as the Father found it in me, the freedom to express God's character, now you will express the character of nothing less than Jesus as you say, not my own. It's not my life, it's Christ's. It's not my authority, it's Christ. It's not my will, it's Christ. It's not my judgment, it's Christ. It's not my power, it's Christ. And here's the good news. Christ, resurrected, who perfectly displayed the image of God, that same Jesus lives in me and you. Amen? That's our only hope if we're going to be image bearers. We don't imitate Jesus. That's impossible. Rather, Christ now, in his resurrection glory, invites us to live in union with him. So that now as we receive nothing less than the seed of the resurrected Jesus, we will bear fruit in our lives. We'll give birth to that which is a unique expression of Christ in each of our lives. We're not robots. No, no. There's, there's musicians who sing in choirs and display Christ in a way. There's people serving in shelters and crossing social divides and, 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 and crossing borders and, and healing in Jesus' name. All kinds of people doing all kinds of things, everyone uniquely expressing the image of God as we receive all that he is in order that we might become all we're meant to be. Man, that's the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. And the new here is not new in time, like, hey, it's a new day, pretty much like yesterday, but new. It's not that. This is new in species, like when you are now in Christ, you've become a different person. And now you will spend the rest of your life living into the newness that you are. Here's the dissonance between who God wants you to be and who you are. You come to Christ, you spend the rest of your life this way, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 to 18, from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory, becoming more and more and more like Christ. That's the adventure, the journey on, on which we're all walking together becoming like Jesus so that Christ can be seen in us individually and in us collectively. How do we get there? I have to be, it begins with belief. I have to believe that I am who God says I am. And so when God says that you're adopted, here's the right answer, thank you. When God says you're completely forgiven, what are you doing still living in shame? Thank you that I'm forgiven. When God says, I've given you a new name, why are you living by your old name? You're not failure. You're forgiven. You're not self-hatred. You're eternally loved. You're not greedy. You're generous. You're not filled with lust. You're filled with purity. Nothing less than the purity of Christ. That's who you are. It starts by believing that we are who God says we are. And then it continues by enjoying the journey 
Because in Philippians 3, Paul says at the very end of his life, I haven't yet arrived. This journey will never end. I'm becoming more and more and more and more like Christ. I'll never fully arrive, but that's okay. Forgetting what is in the past, I have one goal. This is my major. Be like Jesus. And can I say, just so you call it Jesus, very practically, whatever is the other major, you'll never nail it until you get this major. Start there and then let everything flow out from that. Because the one thing the world desperately needs is not another person who writes code or somebody who preaches well. People don't need that. What the world desperately needs is a vision of what it means to look like Jesus. That's where we begin. When we, and then the story culminates this way, 1 John 3, 2. Looking ahead to the end of time, it says this, when we see him, we'll be like him. Exactly like him. Because we'll see him as he is. And the seeing will bring this like meta-transformation and I will be for eternity, a unique expression of Christ, and so will you. This is why C.S. Lewis writes this. There are no ordinary people. None. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. Their life is to ours is the life of a gnat. But it is, immor- it is immortals uh, whom we joke with at work, whom we marry, whom we snub, exploit, love, hate, People are either becoming immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. But there are no ordinary people. This doesn't mean be perpetually solemn. This means recognize we are all becoming image bearers or anti-image. All of us in the room. And so, where do we go from here? Well, our calling to transformation is offered to us in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, where we're told that with unveiled faces we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory. I have one responsibility, be, look at Jesus, become obsessed with, love Jesus, seek Jesus, know Jesus. And can I say to you then, this is how it works, very practically, I want, to know, I want to know Christ. And Christ is revealing himself in the text. That's why I read my Bible in the morning. Not to, not to check something off a list, because I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And so here, Christ has showed up today. We are his body. So in eye contact, in fellowship, in conversation, in forgiveness, we discover Christ. In creation, we discover Christ. Know Christ, be transformed, and enjoy the journey. Father, meet us now at your table. For this is where you seal the deal, offering us the promise of your perpetual strength and forgiveness that we might know you. Meet us here as we worship. We pray in the name of Christ who is our hope. Amen.